Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. On this episode, I'll be joined by Jacob Rudner, 24-7 Sports, who covers the Gators and does a great job over there. He'll talk to us about all things Florida basketball and what he's observed in the early days of the Todd Golden era. Um, got some great stories about Kwesi Reeves and some of the other Florida players in particular. We'll talk a little Myron Jones, just kind of get into all things Florida. We'll also break down Florida's huge come from behind victory over the Florida State Seminoles. That portion of the show will be the second portion. So we're going to start off with the Jacob Brudner interview and then move into the FSU game. Um, This will be one of two pre-Thanksgiving shows that we drop right before Thanksgiving. The second show will be Eric and I breaking down the PK-85 Phil Knight Legacy Tournament where the Gators take on Xavier on Thanksgiving Day. So I want to wish all of you a happy Thanksgiving. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to give us a rating on Spotify. Um, Write a review uh, there or at Apple Podcast or Google, any of the places that that you can do that. Make sure you leave us a rating. Helps us uh, gain sponsorships and, and increase our exposure, which is always good because then we can do more for you, the listeners. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. All right, everybody, I'm here with Jacob Rudner, uh, 24-7 Sports. And Jacob, first of all, it's, it's good to have you. Um, I kind of wanted to give you a chance to tell people that aren't following your your great work on either Florida football or, or Florida basketball where uh, where they can where they can find you, follow you on Twitter and, and see your your work. Yeah, well, first of all, Neil, thank you for having me on the show. Uh, I know that there are a lot of people who subscribe to 24-7 Sports who appreciate what you guys do. So uh, glad that I can be a part of this. Uh, and yeah, you can find me over at, at swamp247.com. Uh, we have Florida football, basketball, baseball, recruiting coverage, and, as well as the message board. And then, of course, on Twitter, uh, at Jacob Rudner. Awesome, Jacob. Well, it's so good to have you. Um, I kind of wanted to get into, to, you know, just some of the stuff that you've done. You know, we've had Malik Grady at practices, um, and it's a media stuff. But but obviously, Eric and I are, are not around on a day-to-day basis. I'll be in, in Portland. but um, in any event, not there all the time. You're around and on the ground and have had a chance to observe this staff and observe some practices. And and uh, I thought you wrote a great story on, on, on Wacey Reeves because we tend to think when a player breaks out at the end of their freshman year or somewhere in their freshman year that they kind of have figured things out. And yeah. I thought what was, was great about what your writing did in that story was, you know, you immediately kind of got Kowasi to talk to you about how that wasn't really the case. And he sort of enters this sophomore season still trying to, to figure out, you know, how to just be himself and play. One of the most profound things that he told me when I got a chance to talk to him one-on-one, we sat down for like 25 minutes. And one of the things that I thought was really uh, fascinating, and I didn't even ask him to say it, but he, he basically goes, you know, I might've been a top prospect and I might've been this guy that fans were looking to, to come here and, you know, be amazing right away. But I'm, I'm 19 years old right now. I'm, I'm a kid. I'm trying to figure out what I need to do to be the best version of myself. And that's whether that's routine or just kind of getting into a flow as a basketball player, as a person off the court. I think that was part of his kind of struggle last year of really trying to find his place. And, and once those things started to click, 
I think he became a lot more comfortable. So I, I think that the the most profound thing Kawesi said was, you know, look at how young I am and and give me a chance to kind of figure my stuff out. And and I thought that was really fascinating. Yeah, that is super interesting because, you know, I think a lot of it just says a lot about someone that at 19, they're able to, to kind of be that reflexive. And, you know, I certainly still struggle with that at, at my age as a coach myself. So I can't imagine being 19 and being like, man, I just got to be the best version of myself. And sure. sometimes that's, that's tough, especially in a sport where you do come in like Wacy and you're, you know, you're expected to be, a, you know, a scorer and a shooter. And um, right. I thought one of the interesting things Todd Golden said was like, you know, maybe, maybe he demanded too much of himself or, or kind of was pressing a little bit in terms of, you know, who he wanted to be. And, and Todd just wants him to go out there and, and play with confidence. Absolutely. And I, I think that one of the big things with Kowasi last year was that he was constantly under this pressure, or at least he felt he was constantly under this pressure where mistakes were amplified. So, you know, the example he gave is he would miss a box out, you know, simple and would give up an offensive rebound and whether or not it led to second chance points, it didn't matter because he would beat up on himself immediately. And he said, you know, I would make a mistake. And my first move was to get in my head and I would look towards the bench to see, has Mike White gotten somebody up? Am I coming out of the game now? And and so that, it, it sounds like that really threw him off because it was constantly in this mode where he had to play mistake-free basketball. But when he made small errors, they seemed to kind of compound and become bigger things for him than they really were. Uh, and I think that Todd Golden recognized that very quickly. I think that he saw a young player who maybe kind of lost his way a little bit mentally uh, in his first season at Florida. And, and the way that he helped him was basically by telling him, listen, let's play basketball. Let's, let's just start by playing ball and we'll worry about the technicalities as we go. We're going to clean things up as we go. And you can make mistakes. You're young, you're talented and basketball there will be mistakes. We will never play perfect basketball. So I, I think that the the big development between Kowasi Reeves and Todd Golden kind of came in this understanding that this is a space where you can make mistakes so long as you improve upon them. You have to learn. You can't you can't continue to make the mistakes, but there's room for them. And and, and I think that that was really valuable for a guy like Kowasi. It was also interesting to me that he talked a lot with Jonathan Sapphire about kind of how to you know, obviously the staff has emphasized shot selection. And I know when I break down the Florida state game, um, it's going to be like having an object lesson and how shot shot selection actually impacts the score um, drastically, but you know, just the way that they, you know, they want him to be in attack mode. uh, And like you said, understand that he's, he's going to make mistakes, but, but, you know, you have to play smart too. And I think at times, uh, last year and still early in this season, that's that's a work in progress. But the fact that he's sitting down with with somebody and looking at like, hey, analytically, this is how some of the decisions you're making are affecting your game is is pretty interesting. Not only that, but I would I would add that you know I'll give you you and your listeners a an interesting little story here. So Jonathan Sapphire, the way that they break things down with their coaching staff, Jonathan is in charge of rebounding. He is like the rebounding coordinator. You have. Kevin Hovde, who's the offensive coordinator. You have Todd Golden, who kind of considers himself the defensive coordinator. And Jonathan Sapphire, who is the rebounding coordinator. And one of the things that Florida saw as an area where Kowasi Reeves could really take a massive step forward was as a rebounder. 
they viewed him as somebody due to his athleticism and size where you have this guy who's kind of a shooter, a wing who's kind of more of a two as a freshman versus somebody who could become a true wing where he plays the two and the three. And, and I think the key to that was to expand his game as a rebounder. And so with Jonathan Sapphire, the two built a connection because Kowasi Reeves has, has garnered a reputation as an extremely coachable player. And I think that Jonathan Sapphire, who's a, a, a brilliant basketball mind, but also in charge of rebounding, they were able to work together in a lot of ways to kind of expand Kowasi's game over the offseason uh, in a way that I think is really valuable. So yes, not only was that a great opportunity for the shot selection conversation and to kind of become entrenched in the analytics and to really understand what makes him a good versus a bad basketball player at times, but also it was a direct lesson in the rebounding department. And I think that that specifically, if we're going to talk on court possibilities and room for growth, if Kowasi Reeves can become a, a true wing, the potential is, is sky high. So that was a, that's a massive relationship, I think for, for Reeves specifically. Yeah, that's super interesting. And and you think about a team that's that's full of guys who could potentially play the wing at at the next level, whether that's in the NBA or in Europe. And and it's it's pretty interesting that they're, you know, that that's what Jonathan Sapphire's in Georgia, because that's sort of modern basketball now, is if you can if you can get your way, wings to dig down and contribute in rebounding, um, you know, it's always been if you had a guard that could rebound, you're in pretty decent shape because sure it immediately helps you initiate your offense. But now um, as teams sort of play positionless basketball, it's even more important. I think a hundred percent. And I think that they have, like you said, there are several guys who do a really good job of that. I think Will Richard is, is somebody who has the potential to is, is already good, but has the potential to really grow into a role where he becomes a very valuable shooter. We've seen him become, or, or he already is this very, strong three-point guy who has a very sharp shot. Uh, he is also somebody who I find has a nose for the basketball. So in a defensive rebounding situation where Florida was very weak last season, I can see why a guy like Will Richard would be extremely beneficial. I also think that that matters on offense, though. And Florida was really good as an off, not really good, but but solid as an offensive rebounding team last year. I think that this group has the potential if things work out over the course of the season to grow upon that number, I think that they could be a very potent team between guys like Castleton, but also you have guys like Reeves and, and Richard who give you this capability to be a very potent offensive team, because when you're missing shots, you're generating second chance opportunities. So yes, I, I think that this team, it's strength at the moment is it's depth at that wing position, that kind of guard forward hybrid where guys can be strong rebounders and also contribute from the perimeter as shooters. Jacob Runder, 24 seven sports. Make sure you guys uh, follow him on Twitter. Read his stuff over at salt 247com Jacob, one of the, um, you know, you just mentioned Will Richard, which kind of means makes me invert my tiny little outline that I make and, and ask you about Will Richard. Cause I think it was striking. Like I think your tweets, uh, and Malik has been our guy. Malik Grady's kind of been on Richard in Rich in the Richard camp since since he committed to Florida. But then we saw a lot of tweets from you about how you know, man, this is a guy that looked great in practice. Yeah, uh, you know, and then he plays thirty six and a half minutes uh, at FSU Friday night, which was about fifteen twenty seconds. I don't remember off the top of my head. 
Um, less than Kyle Lofton, but pretty much a team high. Um, you know, what is it about him that that seems to intrigue the staff so much? And and what, you know, is there something that that you think, you know, has made his adjustment from a not great league where he was he was a great player at Belmont, but that's not a great league to, you know, so far, uh, granted it's four games and, and Florida had just played their first power six opponent, but but uh, the adjustment doesn't appear to be phasing him too much. No, and I think that that comes down to his ability, again, to be a very good shooter. Uh, I think that that's a skill that translates across levels of basketball. If you can Look, if you can pull up from three-point range and, and you can be a guy that's going to make those shots with consistency, you can play. Uh, you can play at most levels. Now, it's how you can expand on that successfully as you achieve higher levels of basketball that kind of determines where you fit in as far as, you know, your, your skill set plus your ability to compete with the highest level guys versus, you know, playing in a lower level league. And for Will Richard, I think that it comes down to two aspects. One, I think he's a very solid rebounder because again, he has that nose for the basketball. I think that he does a good job of kind of seeking it. He's not afraid of contact. He's a well-built player. So this is a guy who can kind of tussle in the, in the post if necessary, but can also chase down those wide, you know, towards the perimeter deflective type rebounds. But here's the other thing. I, I think he's a very good defender. Uh, this is a guy who is switchable on the defensive side. I think that this is a guy who does a very good job of initiating contact himself. He is sharp off the ball. He does a good job of generating steals on the ball. Uh, this is somebody who I think is disruptive. And in Todd Golden's system, I think over time we will see that that will matter a lot. Guys who can be effective shooters, efficient offensive basketball players, but are really strong on the defensive end. I can see Todd Golden kind of hanging his hat on that side of the, of the ball. And, and Will Richard is somebody who really fits that profile. Yeah. And I mean, he's, he's just been uh, magnificent. I think defensively early on, I think Florida's, you know, obviously Colin Castleton is, is Florida's rim protector and, and best player, but where Richard has, I think, you could make the argument that he's been Florida's best defender through four games. And, um, you know, he'll certainly uh, give them somebody that can guard uh, Xavier's kind of smaller front court um, as they head out to Portland. Another guy that I think people have questions about, and I know Myron Jones would say, Hey man, I wish I wasn't over seven on the season from three, two with, sure. with two air balls. Like, you know, you know, if you talk to Myron or ever have have the privilege to do so, folks, this is a, a wonderful kid, smart, um, thoughtful. Uh, and, you know, one one staff member kind of hinted at the possible answer for me, which was that, you know, hey, Myron's a, a lot better a passer than you think. And he's just a smart basketball player. And I think a lot of people are sort of wondering, you know, because he's not super athletic. He's not hitting shots but he's still commanding 12 to 15 minutes a night right now, Jacob, you know, maybe at the expense of a guy like Niles Lane. And, and I kind of wondered, you know, if you had some insight on, on what you thought might be behind that. Um, I look, I, I think that Myron Jones, let's, let's talk really positive here first for a second. He played limited minutes. I think it was 11 total off the top of my head against Florida state. It might've been 12. Uh, yeah. 11, I think 12, maybe. Sure. And, and, and regardless, not a lot. It was it was a limited role. I actually think that he fulfilled what the team needed from him in the second half of that game. And I would argue there are people who will watch that game and, and go, ah, Myron Jones, 
made a whole bunch of mistakes <laughs> in the second half and uh, the turnover late. I think it was a minute 45 left. He turned the ball over with, it was kind of an egregious turnover. I, I view it as a guy who made one mistake late. I actually think he played a very solid second half. I think you, you touched on it. He's a good passer. Uh, I think that he's somebody who Florida can rely on in that regard, but I don't know that that skill set necessarily lends itself to more minutes than he's receiving. If that makes sense. I think that there are guys on this roster who will be more impactful over a longer exposure in the game, whereas he might be able to have kind of a flashy 10 to 15 minutes, depending on opponent, where he can kind of capitalize on the ability to be a solid passer, to be a a bigger body maybe at the two. He can play the point guard if necessary. Uh, and, And I think that that's kind of his niche. Now, I think that somebody who could really start to see minutes where Myron Jones might have is Trey Bonham. I think Trey Bonham is going to start commanding a lot of Myron Jones' time on the floor. And the reason for that is very simple, in my opinion. It's that Trey Bonham gives Florida a second ball handler on the court with Kyle Lofton, and they don't really have that with anybody else. I think that Bonham is a dynamic guy with the ball in a lot of the same ways that that Lofton can be. I also think that teams have to defend Florida differently when, when Bonham excuse me, is on the floor. Uh, just this quick guy who's effective or can be effective from all different levels as a scorer. We've seen him have a nose for the ball. He had seven rebounds against Florida state, which is far more. I would say you can agree or disagree, but far more than I would have expected for a five foot 10 guard who, you know, undersized came from Virginia military Institute. I think that, I think that Bonham is a really good guy to have on this roster. So I, I can see the minutes going in that direction. And I don't think that that's a slight to Myron Jones so much as as his skill set isn't going to demand more time than that right now. Yeah, I think that's a spot on those those remarks on Jones against FSU are spot on. And and when I get into the deeper game breakdown, you know, I'm going to mention that he he was plus ten in those twelve minutes. I mean, that's sure. You know, this staff is this staff is going to know that. And uh, so you take away the the sort of egregious turnover in. I think you can also make up for some athleticism deficiency, even against a team as athletic as Florida State always is. And this FSU team is really no different. It's just that they're not particularly skilled like some of the previous FSU teams um, by being smart. And Myron is a smart defender, if not, you know, an elite defender by any stretch of the imagination. He doesn't put himself in bad positions. He doesn't commit sloppy fouls. Uh, And I think this staff – We'll continue to value that. But as we've said on the show, you know, he might be a guy who's in that seven to 20 minutes range. Sure. And that's a really wide range. And it's all going to depend on whether or not that jump shot goes in. Uh, he's going to be told to shoot a couple times. And if it doesn't go in like it hasn't so far, that that's probably going to affect his minutes too. But if it does, then great. On, on bottom, you know, I think, again, great comments. He seems to give Florida somebody that's quick too. And that can get into the paint a little with yes. a little more ease than say a Lofton who's sort of more of a thinking man's classic point guard. A hundred. First of all, I think your comment on Lofton is spot on. I, Lofton is a classic point guard. I don't get that same. Uh, I don't have that same feel on, on Trey Bonham. I don't think that he's uh, falls into that classic point guard category. I really see him as a very small two. Uh, and I think that that's a really good role for him when him and Lofton are on the floor together. And like you said, this is a guy who is very solid at penetrating and getting to the basket for his size. 
Uh, we saw that frequently throughout preseason camp. Uh, I do wonder how that's going to translate to SEC play. I wonder if SEC teams that are very solid defensively, especially this year, are going to be able to account for that. But again, I would personally rather have a guy like Bonham, who is, is quick, who's dynamic, who kind of adds this element to the game where defenses have to be very you know, cautious of him because of that speed that you mentioned and because of that ability to kind of shoot from all levels, including right by the basket, because he can get there. Uh, I would prefer to have that on the court than, than a guy like Myron Jones, who is not as dynamic in, in his skill set. And so I, I really do like Trey Bonham. Uh, I had written about that before the season started. I have it on my Twitter all over the place, too. This was a guy who I thought was one of the top three, four standouts for me in, in preseason camp. I just think that the skill set is so diverse. Uh, and then there's the defensive side, too. I think that he has the potential to be a real pickpocket uh, when it yeah. comes to generating steals. Yeah, and I love that you mentioned the seven rebounds because, um, you know, it's been a while since Florida had a smaller guard who could really, really <laughs> rebound. Right. Um, and, you know, as a coach, I can tell you that sometimes rebounding stats are one of the weirdest things because, you know, geometry, right? <laughs> for, for lack of a better explanation. Um, and some of it is want to uh, more than people actually think. But, you know, it's certainly the fact that Bonham is just so quick uh, I think makes him more capable. And then obviously, you know, if, if you talk to him or you, you, you know, get the chance to meet his dad, like this, we're talking about a smart, a, a small, but really strong guy. Um, no doubt. You know, and I'll, I'll give you a stat real quick about Florida <laughs> rebounding that I think is interesting this season. Rebounding, like you said, can be kind of a, a skewed number. I think people can get a false sense of how good or bad a team is by just looking at the raw box score and seeing that's a lot of rebounds for a lot of guys, but that can be right, misleading. Right. I will tell you this, though, through four games, so we're going to pump the brakes on it a little, but through four games, Florida ranks 20th right now in in, uh, in offensive rebounding percentage by their opponents, it's just 19.1%. They are dominating the defensive glass. And I've seen all over social media, Florida is not rebounding again. Florida is insufficient <laughs> on the defensive side on the glass. No, they are not. They have been very good. Where they have actually been perhaps under what I would have expected is on the offensive side. They, they rank 175th nationally, according to Ken Palm in offensive rebounding percentage. And that is a number I think will grow over time. Uh, just because I think that the guys that golden returned from last year's team have that capability and the guys he brought into as well. Uh, Alex fudge comes to mind in a big way. Will Richard, who we talked about as kind of this hard, hard nosed ability to find the ball. Quasey Reeves has improved a lot in this regard. Uh, I do think that they will improve as an offensive rebounding team, but I would say that the, the most impressive thing for me so far this season is the massive jump on the defensive glass. Yeah, those are great numbers. Jacob, one last question, I guess. Um, and that would be rotations. Uh, I mean, Todd has not really hid the ball from anybody. He said, you know, a couple weeks ago, well, we played 11. If somebody's going to pout about that, we'll play 10. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then their first game against a power six opponent, they played 10, but Riley Kugel had five and a half minutes. And I think, you know, I know Todd says he's not going to sit people who miss one shot, but when you miss two layups, um, <laughs> maybe, maybe you sit a little bit. Uh, do you think yeah. that's the plan? The nine to 10 man rotation? 
I think it's going to be the plan as long as they can let it be the plan, if that makes sense. I think that Todd Golden's going to yeah. push the nine to 10 guy rotation as long as it's working. And I think that he'll be quick to whittle it down or even expand it if he feels like that's something he can do. I think that uh, the the core guys of this team are really starting to make themselves clear. And it starts with Kyle Lofton and, and Colin Castleton. They're going to demand a ton of minutes and they're going to play a lot. Uh, Will Richard, I think, has officially joined that group. Uh, I think that as we see games more and more over these next couple weeks before conference play starts, I think that Trey Bonham is going to be a guy that really starts to make his way uh, up the list on that rotation. I don't know that he's going to demand tons of minutes, but I think that he makes a big jump. Uh, but yes, to answer your question, I can see it being nine or 10 guys for a while here. Awesome. Well, I think, uh, you know, certainly when they go to Portland, you know, you probably go nine to 11 by day three. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, it's tough to play. You play three games in four days. You know, it's funny because people always have these, and these are great resume games. It's great television, but like by the third game, it's weird to kind of evaluate what happens. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all these tournaments. It's exhaustion ball. By the end. <laughs> it's, it's right. <laughs> Whoever has the, the the most amount left in the gas tank after being completely wiped out by the time you get to game three. That's a fun time, though. You know, that's that's really when d- discipline matters. I actually think that that's super valuable. Sorry to interrupt you, but I, I think that fans can no. learn a lot from that third game uh, when, when Florida's tired uh, and, and the fundamentals become really important because exhaustion has officially set in. You got to be, I mean, you know this better than anybody as a coach. Once people get tired, it comes down to how good you do the little things. It's the rebounding, it's the layups, yeah. it's the hitting your open shots and capitalizing on things. And, and that's easier to do when you're not dead tired. So uh, I, I actually think that we might learn a lot about how much progress Florida has made under Todd Golden in that third game. Let me ask you one more question if you have a second. Uh, you know, <laughs> as much time um, as you need. <laughs> no, yeah, I was just curious, like, you know, one we've kind of kept the theory that this this game coming up against Xavier, and we're going to talk to Adam Baum from the Cincinnati Inquirer this week and, and get a get a feel for the Musketeers. I watched them play Indiana the other night; they're really good. Yeah. Um, Xavier is. Um, it's interesting because of the three game setup. This game seems more important just because it can dictate who Florida plays in the next two games. And obviously you go to an event like this, you want resume opportunities. Is that kind of your sense? hundred percent. First game is huge. Uh, absolutely. And I, I think there's a degree with this staff to which they will look at this as a one game at a time thing. So I don't know that the motivation is like, we need to win this game to get to this opponent and build this on the resume. I, I think right. it's more a sense of Xavier is the team on the schedule right now. Let's go beat Xavier and then worry about whatever is next after that. I, I don't know how you've evaluated this. And I'd even be curious to know, but I actually view this game as kind of a toss up. I, I think that Xavier, while very talented and very uh, disciplined, I think that they are also scoutable. So I think that Florida has the ability to, with its new coaching staff, break down what they're seeing and, and kind of attack the things specifically that Xavier does where they're going to run into a problem. In my opinion, is that, Xavier has the size and the skill at those bigger positions where Colin Castleton is going to have arguably his toughest night of the season. He's going to be busy in the post. Uh, and so I think that it kind of comes down to how effective Florida can make Castleton and how, how much are they going to capitalize on those perimeter shots? Because you're about to review the FSU game. It's no secret. Uh, not a good first half uh, <laughs> perimeter. And it was not a good game from really 
you know, that middle distance against FAU before that. So I, I would be very curious to see how Florida does on its kickout opportunities when it takes those shots from the perimeter. I think Trey Bonham needs to be a lot better from the three-point uh, distance relative to how he performed against Florida State. But think about the potency that comes with this team if they can really start to knock those down at a respectable percentage. I mean, I think that Florida, the, the ceiling is high. The floor is really low. And so I think that we've seen the wide range of outcomes so far this season. And for what it's worth, that's expected. This is the first year of a coaching staff. There are holdover players from last year's roster. They're trying to reset the culture. They're trying to implement their schemes. This is normal. So for the people who freaked out early, I would tell you to just hold on. I've seen a lot of positive stuff. I'm sure you have too, Neil. Uh, I think Florida basketball is headed in a good direction. Yeah, no, I mean, I think there's a lot of positive developments um, on and off the court. And I would mention, and it's not just analytics. I mean, it's it's relationships. I, I'm in Charlotte now, but I still have a lot of friends in South Florida and you know, they said they have heard more from this staff outside of anyone that, you know, outside of Eric Pastrana, who was on last year's staff, than they heard from anybody for a couple of years down in South Florida. It's like yeah. a recruiting, the recruiting Florida matters to this staff, which was always the formula for Billy Donovan. Uh, first and foremost was I'm going to get the guy that I want from Florida. And then, you know, I'll go find other players to compliment them. But Florida players were always super important. So I think that matters as to Xavier kind of tying a bow on that thought. Yeah. I mean, look, Zach Fremantle isn't the type of player that get, that's going to give Colin trouble, but Florida needs quality minutes from CJ Felder to occupy him because he can be a problem on the glass. And then, you know, Jack Ninja is going to be as good a five as Colin plays, unless Florida plays Purdue uh, right. for a while. Right. right. So and that includes Duke. Like he's going to be more experienced than a better basketball player. Maybe not an NBA lottery talent, but a better basketball player than Colin has faced. And I think that that lends itself to the second point you've made that Florida has to hit shots. And the other reason they need to hit shots is Xavier doesn't turn you over, right? Like they, they defend fundamentally well. Uh, they are well drilled in that. Kevin Steele did a nice job drilling them defensively. That wasn't the problem under him. And Sean Miller, his teams have always been good enough on defense, but they don't yeah. pressure the ball. They're not, you know, so Florida has to knock down shots. If a team doesn't turn you over, they just guard you. Well, you better hit shots. And when Florida hits shots, they're going to be really good this season. Um, and when they yeah. don't, as you said, you know, they could, the ceiling, <laughs> the floor is problematic maybe. Um, but FAU is also good, and I don't think a lot of the listeners understand that either. I am glad you said it. I think that FAU <laughs> is getting n- not hardly enough credit uh, for how good it is. My prediction is that by the time everything is said and done and the dust has settled at the end of the season, that's going to end up being a quad two loss uh, to a team that is very much in the conversation to get into the NCAA tournament. So I I think it, it looks bad for Florida fans who might have just exclusively watched that game and you look at the names of the teams on the score ticker at the bottom of your television, I can understand your your disappointment. But I would to the disappointed fan, I would say uh, that's not as bad a loss as I thought, as I think a lot of people think it is. I also think that it was a terrible matchup for Florida. The way that yeah. Florida's roster is constructed, FAU has the pieces and the schemes and they run things in a way that Florida was always going to have a really hard time defending. And we saw that. The other thing is, 
How often are you winning a basketball game when your opponent goes 14 of 23 from the three-point line? <laughs> not yeah, often. No. Not often. No. It's not, it's like I told Eric the other night, when you have more, when you make more threes than you have turnovers, um, yeah. you're going yeah. to win. You're going to win most of the time. Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, Jacob, it's been great to talk to you. You do a real service for, for Florida fans um, everywhere that, you know, even when Florida is six and five, are just going to pay attention to basketball when the football season finally ends, other than glancing a good article on 24-7. So keep it up, and, and thank you so much for joining us. No, seriously, Neil, thank you very much for having me. It was a great time talking to you, and uh, hopefully I'll uh, hop on again soon. Awesome. Take care. We hope you all enjoyed our interview with Jacob Rudner. Um, Florida obviously had a game on Friday night rallying to defeat Florida State um, 76-67 in Gainesville, the, or in Tallahassee, I'm sorry. The Gators uh, win at, at the Tuck Center for the first time in a decade. So, uh, you know, kind of a certainly something that hasn't happened in a while hadn't happened didn't happen in the mike white era uh didn't happen the last time billy donovan went up there so florida you know grabbing a uh, a big one um obviously and and a game that was just truly bizarre uh florida fell way way behind um actually fsu had a 96.6 percent win probability uh, when they were up 43-24 with 40 seconds to go in the first half. So that shows you that Florida erased what was a, about a 97% chance of an FSU victory over the game's last 21 minutes. Um, and it was huge. I mean, as we mentioned on the previous show, FSU was 0-3, had lost to Stetson, UCF, and Troy. Um, and the Gators really couldn't afford to lose this game. I mean, there were there's a chance that this game – you know, even on the road may end up being sort of a quad three type game if FSU doesn't get it together and rally. Now, that said, the Seminoles were healthier than we even expected them to be on the preview. They did get some guys back that they haven't had all year. Deontay Green played um, his first basketball. Uh, so they they also got a couple guys in the post back. So they, they were a little more uh, – you know, with their full complement, obviously without Baba Miller and, you know, who was going to be their sixth man and Jalen Ganey, um, who are both either out for the season or in Miller's case out for 16 games. But this is the compliment that Leonard Hamilton had hoped he would have for the first half of the season before they got Baba Miller back. So a little bit better. Um, as far as, as, you know, how Florida got so far behind, you know, I thought it was just kind of a rough – Rough half for Florida from two standpoints, really. The first was shot selection was really bad. Um, and the other one would be that defensively, Florida continues to just let opposing teams get in the paint a little too easily. Um, and one of the worst segments of that was from Koasi Reeves, who, who was beat by Caleb Mills for a pretty easy layup and then came and, and forced a three on the other end. This is how FSU ended up extending their lead from 14-11 and, and getting out bigger. 
Um, and then, you know, Wacy comes down after the force three, kind of hangs his head, gets beat by Matthew Cleveland on the next possession. And I think, uh, I think a lot of the struggles that Wacy had were kind of why he sat in the second half. Um, but Florida also didn't shoot well. And, and much of it was about taking the wrong shot. I don't think it was so much that Florida's offense wasn't producing good shots. Um, you know, Florida started three of 22, uh, which is not where you want to be. Obviously, they were 0 of 8 from deep. And I was bothered by some some of the shots. You know, I talked about Lacey's force three. I thought Myron Jones forced one that got blocked. Another over two from, from Myron out there. He's over seven from deep on the season. Um, and then, you know, even Will Richard, who I think has been terrific most of the season, you know, had a wide open lane for a layup and instead kind of thought about attacking a really bad FSU closeout and instead um, took a force three, which, which barely grazed the rim. So I think, you know, Florida just took some of the wrong shots. Uh, Trey Bonham came in and, and heaved up a, a quick three, obviously his second half, you know, justified anything that went wrong in the first, but that was a problem. I think the Gators are also again, bothered by switching. We saw them get bothered by switching in the FAU game. Um, I don't know if Florida has a consistent idea yet of how they want to attack a switching defense. Um, the easiest way to attack a switching defense really is just a pass and find a favorable matchup to exploit. But you have to be decisive when you do that, right? Like you can't just kind of throw it around and let them switch. I mean, you have to decisively attack the matchup that you think is best. And that requires quick ball movement. And, and Florida didn't always have that. Florida did get promising minutes from Jason Jatobo. I thought um, in this game, uh, some of those came in the first half. You know, at one point late in the first half, Jason Jatoba was Florida's leading scorer, which um, is both a sign that things might not be going great and also was you know, a credit to him. I thought he showed off all his skills offensively in this game, um, his soft hands, you know, his ability to just occupy space we've known about. Um you know, he's still pretty athletic for a big guy, moves well, uh, has great touch around the basket. And and um, he also had a blocked shot, got a late foul call from Doug Shows, which you'd expect. Um, but the staff is going to try to find the right goops, I think, to play him. And remember, he made a really great hustle play late in the first half when it seemed like Florida wasn't hustling at all. Um, that led to a Castleton dunk, which cut the lead to 43-26 just before the half. That, that was uh, – Jatobo, you know, sacrificing himself on the floor. So he's doing the right things and hopefully um, he can build on that. Um, and, you know, again, that play by Jatobo was needed because Reeves took kind of a bad shot before that as Florida tried to go two for one at the end of the half, forced another contested three in the corner, barely hits the rim. The Knolls come down and hit a transition three the other way. And, and that's how they ended up leading by 19 before the, Jatobo hustle play cut it to, to 17 at the halftime. So at 43-26 in the first half, it's one of these games where the stats really didn't tell the story. You know, sometimes that's not always the case. Is you can't just look at a stat sheet, but um, here it kind of was. I mean, the Knowles had four block shots in the first half. The Gators, none. Florida was one of 12 from deep in the first half. The Knowles were three of six. The Knowles won the glass in the first half, 2017. And the Gators just kind of flat out got – beat the first half, um, which made the second half so, so interesting because, you know, you talk about the best of times and the worst of times. Uh, it really was that for Florida Friday night. 
the Gators score the first nine points coming out of the break. And I think really keyed by CJ Felder attacking the glass um, and playing good defense. And then, you know, you get a pickpocket Kyle Lofton steal where Florida plays Trey Bonham on the ball. And I thought his pesky on ball defense kind of allowed Lofton to play a little off the ball. And that's how he gets, you know, and, and cleans up and gets his steal. So that was great to see um, them get a transition bucket, just an easy basket to kind of settle things down. And that nine, nothing run really took the air out of the building a bit. Um, I mean, it was lit in there in the first half, obviously not the sellout that uh, FSU had, you know, suggested that they were going to have. Uh, we got a lot of funny tweets about that and, um, you know, certainly empty seats disguised as no fans, but uh, it was loud in there in the first half and Florida's 9-0 run kind of quieted the group. Uh, Bottom's energy really changed the game. Just a total pest defensively showed me and, and Eric Fawcett something that we weren't sure of um, about him and, and did it against, you know, really high level guards, uh, especially Caleb Mills. Um, and, and so that was something to, that was a sight to see, you know, Darren Green has been one of, if not Florida State's best player this season, uh, the UCF transfer, another guy that was an all league player before coming over to the power six bottom did his work on that end. And then, you know, he gives something to Florida that they don't really have. I mean, he's a guy that is explosive, um, off the bounce and attacking the basket. And he also makes good decisions when he attacks the basket, which I think right now is sort of the difference between him and like a Riley Kugel who is capable of attacking the basket, but we've seen him miss a bunch of layups and we've seen him commit turnovers when he gets in the lane. And like, I'm not sure that that really justifies minutes. And that's probably why he played, you know, five minutes. So even though bottom is undersized, um, I think Florida recognized that, that they weren't creating enough offense off the bounce, that they're not getting that from um, Kyle Lofton necessarily, who's more of the classic distrib- distribution point guard. And and uh, Trey Bonham came in, had plenty of the ball, and created space, got his shot off, and then got in the lane a bunch, made good passes. And so that's that's how, you know, you change a game. Um, that's that's what Florida did. And, and when that Florida lineup of Lofton, Bonham, Will Richard Felder and Castleton was just remarkable. Um, they averaged 1.8 points per possession. Um, they allowed only 0.3 points per possession defensively, which is uh, kind of just patently absurd, to be honest. And so, um, you know, it just it just helped Florida create shots, and, and Florida was able to make those switches harder on FSU because FSU was chasing um, in their rotations to find open shooters. They weren't able to shade down on Castle as much because Florida was hitting outside shots, so they started shading towards the perimeter. So really, bottom kind of changed everything about this basketball game, um, I thought, in the second half. Um, I would note that by the first media timeout, again, I mentioned C.J. Felder. I thought his just urgency defensively and his aggression on the glass was really, really good as well. Uh, Florida has become a good rebounding team almost overnight. Under Todd Golden, Jonathan, shout out to Jonathan Sapphire, who is the uh, rebounding coordinator, if you will. The Gators had their best offensive rebounding game, and almost all of that came in the second half. But by the first media timeout, uh, Florida had four offensive rebounds, 
trailed just by one point after trailing by 17. So they went plus 16. They had 11 more shots than FSU during that first five minute, 34 span, 17 to six. Some of that was forcing five FSU turnovers in that span. I mentioned the four offensive rebounds that led to six Florida points. Um, and then the Gators, you know, take the lead at 49, 48 and never trail again. In fact, Florida led by three at 51, 48 with 12, 36 remaining, which meant that in an eight minute span, they had gone from 96.6% win probability of an FSU win to a 51.5% Florida win probability. And in those first, uh, in that eight minute span, Florida state had seven turnovers. They had had five prior to that. Uh, that's one turnover per minute almost in, in that little span. Um, and Colin Castleton had 13 second half points in just seven minutes and 24 seconds of play before Todd Golden gave him that extended breather of, of time before the under 12 media timeout plus the media timeout. And, and the Gators got up 57 48 and really never looked back. Um, not sure what else there is to say about this game other than the uh, faking the funk with a nasty dunk by Alex Fudge, who, um, Man, he came in and just had such a great shift uh, after that five on the floor. I don't think um, Fudge is going to be in, in that position to start. I mean, the numbers and, and splits weren't quite as good with Fudge on the floor, but obviously, you know, when you can make that kind of monster dunk that he makes to just put an exclamation point on the comeback and sort of take the any any hopes in the FSU players' minds out of the game, uh, that's something else. It's one of the most thunderous dunks I've seen from a Florida player in, in years and years. Um, Hannah Moore had awesome photos of it. Check those out on Twitter. Um, and, you know, the other thing that Fudge is doing is is kind of really giving this team just some super quality minutes as a help defender. I mean, he's now up to five charges taken on the season, uh, picked up a couple more um, charges taken against the Seminoles. Um, so he's giving the Gators kind of that that guy who who can help make a run extended by getting that offensive foul that turns a team that's pressing over, pressing to score a little over. And it's also really, really useful considering that, you know, Florida has struggled to keep people out of the lane. So, you know, you need guys like Fudge that that bring the help defense in that capacity. Um, that kind of wraps up our, our review of the Florida-Florida State game. Obviously a huge win for the Gators. Um, thanks to Jacob Rudner for, for doing the show this week. Um, you know, really fun to talk to him. And we will have a big PK85 Phil Knight Legacy uh, preview up for you also today. So hope you guys enjoyed this show. And Eric Fawcett is back soon. Go Gators. Keep attacking closeouts.